What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Feelings about empathy. I'm going to read you two small sections of my book in this episode. The book is called Strategy Is Your Words. Fear not, I'm not going to raid your podcast list with too many more of these episodes because I'm also going to record this thing as an audiobook. I'm just kind of sharing my creative practice, like the way I like to approach things. I do find it useful to do writing, a lot of writing, and then to read it out and see what makes sense when it's read out. Not all books really make good audiobooks as well. It's, it's a bit of a different format. Uh, but I don't know. I just want, I, I want to share. I want to share. And honestly, behind all of this is my plea to you, because everything I do is me pre- talking to myself, but people happen to listen every now and then, is to, to make some art. And this is mine. I'm going to, before I get into it, I'm going to start with a punchline. And I'm going to talk just a little bit in some of these episodes about therapy because I've just started it for the first time in 15 years. What I, w- I want to be clear that my aim in talking about therapy is to not elicit sympathy and to not drag you into whatever histrionics are going on in my head. That's not what I'm doing it for. I just happen to talk to a lot of people in very private ways about mental health, often through DMs on Instagram or at events that I'm doing or after the events that I do. And I also do read research and see see statistics. And from what I I believe that a majority, close to a majority of people in advertising, at the the very least, I'm not going to say advertising and marketing, but advertising are... deal with a lot of uh, anxiety and there are obviously different ways to define that word depression is not uncommon you know every now and then you see the statistics like one in three or one in two people in a particular country are going to experience a severe depressive episode my hunch is in our industry it's it's not like one one in two every life like once a lifetime it's you know one in a smaller number (laughs) My math just gave up on me, so I can count. Uh, and it's definitely more than once in a lifetime. Uh, I, I, I don't need that to be true, by the way, but I do believe that. So I'm going to start with a punchline before I read to you two chapters about feelings and empathy, because as I go into therapy, this book that I've done, I've, I've written about a lot of the stuff that's in my head. And a lot of it is me writing to myself and trying to yell at myself about how I am. And then I've been, I went to three sessions this week because I'm going to Australia for a few days soon. And I wanted to, I'm such a freaky nerd, but I wanted to do what people call heaped practice. And by people, I mean, uh, neuroscientists, <laughs> there's a brain called, there's a book called the brain that changes itself. And I came across this concept concept years ago, uh, that especially after car crashes, that if you do heaped practice as in, quite a few hours quite close together to heal parts of the body that weren't responding to the brain as well, then you're more likely to recover. And I thought, oh, what if I just do heaps practice? There's probably no equivalent. It's probably not even a thing that you can just move from one part of the doctor medicinal mental world into another. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. So I've done three sessions. And on Friday, there were five things that stuck with me. And this is a punchline, okay? Because I'm going to read you, I'm going to call this episode Feelings About Empathy. I'm going to read you two sections of my book which are about empathy and feelings. Surprise, surprise. I left the third session yesterday. It was a Friday. Third session of therapy. And I wrote notes 
and here's what I took away from it. I had a, a moment where, you know, sort of still establishing a rapport and, uh, you know, when I do the podcast interviews, they're, they're real, they're real to me. They've, they've, there's an intimacy there, even if I never see that person again, but, um, you know, it's, it's real enough. But after three sessions of therapy, the, the, the therapist sort of pointed out to me that every time she tried to ask me about my feelings, I would talk about other people's feelings. And perhaps I use empathy, empathy for others to avoid empathy for myself. And I think that comes out in the way of, you know, I'm talking about things, just things that have happened and how I, how I well, apparently not how I feel about them. I'll talk about how when things have happened, how other people feel about them and perhaps because they feel a particular way that I'm not supposed to feel the way that I feel about them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got this whole section about uh, empathy and, and feelings and totally get it. But also, you know, you talk, you read a little bit about, or maybe like, uh, is it the School of Life's got a video about writers and why they write? And I can't even remember what the answer is to that, but you should look it up. It's on YouTube. And I, I totally relate to that. Like you, you're often writing and trying to put words somewhere because you can't put them into other parts of your life. So you're like, but you're feeling a lot. And I'm like, I've got to put it somewhere. So that was the first one. Whenever I'm asked about feelings, I, apparently I talk a lot about other people's feelings and perhaps I use empathy for others to avoid empathy for myself. I kind of get that. The second thing that I, I took out of it, and uh, I'm not being negative about any particular individual. I don't, need to do that like there are certain things that are deep inside me which are very painful uh but i'm not yeah like it's not about revenge or anything I'm, i just i just want to be more better adjusted you know uh so i, I so i'd be a bit vague with this but I, I think there were big parts of my life where i was around a person who experienced a lot of emotions but didn't always acknowledge other people's emotions. And so I think I sort of shrank into myself and then into my bedroom and then into my poetry book <laughs> and my rap book. Uh, third point that these are my words as well, but I, I think I was getting feedback that I, I fussed with words to avoid focusing on my feelings. I'm like, oh gosh, I've got this book. It's called Strategy Is Your Words. Uh, I guess that is actually what I, I joke about. Like I'm... <laughs> writing to myself about my head and I'm using words and all sorts of things. And I don't know, there's a feeling in it, but that was kind of, this is like a long punchline, by the way, and punchlines usually come at the end. Uh, there's definitely a recognition that I've given power away to people over the years. You know, I'm not super alpha and dominant. That might surprise some of you if you see me come to talks or see me run a workshop, but I don't like doing it. You know, I op usually open doors, let people go in, don't like putting people out. I'll line up and I won't push in. I, you know, if, if the line's moving slowly, I won't necessarily rush up to the front and go, what's happening and do all that sort of stuff. Although I'm, I'm, I've been trying to do more of that kind of assertive behavior over the years. Uh, and then one thing that I've been, that I'll be ruminating on for a little bit is perhaps, you know, I often tell myself that my words are my home. People that will say like, do you, where's your home? Sydney? Is it New York? Is it, is it Australia? Is it America? I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think, I think my words are my home. And I wasn't trying to be tricky with that answer. I, I feel it, which is probably to acknowledge that I don't always feel you know, at home in a lot of situations or in a lot of groups, which is neither good nor bad. Anyway, so there are five things that I took out of it. Uh, and long punchline, but uh, <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, 
<laughs> it's funny when you're writing pages and pages about these very ideas and you're doing it through the strategy topic. All right. So a couple of little sections here. This is, it'll be like two and a half to 3,000 words. Empathy is a powerful burden. On an asteroid you stand. The fluffiest pink clouds bunch above, blue-white bolts zap into each other and shake voltaic hands when they meet. A conveyor belt of jagged rock, shallow dark ditches and small cacti passes beneath your steps. Tiny angel banshees hang one-handed from the cactus needles like graffiti artists dangling from a moving steel train between subway stops before their art dares to turn dead and they lose the youth they never wanted. Sometimes your shins dislodge these harrowing Christmas ornaments from their cactus perches, and the banshees fling themselves into the infinite. They leave behind weed whacker cuts, and more banshees spawn from the cacti with each fling. The banshees are the lizard tails of the asteroid. They death stare you in the face and shriek as they fly by. You can't look down as you walk, so you never see the banshees until they buzz up to your eyeballs. You forge forward on the conveyor belt, but you never move. The asteroid hurdles and cannot stop. It can only crash. Only day exists on the asteroid. It keeps awake the heart in the depths of your rib cage, keeps your eyes lurking in oblivion. Most days it rains, and when it rains, you open your arms and stretch your fingers to grip the horizons and tilt your chin to the stars beyond the clouds and you movie twirl. You make yourself a bucket under a leaky roof and you try to catch all the rain. Even as the asteroid marches under your feet, your twirl is a magnet for all the asteroids' rain. You collect it all. There are no puddles. Besides, the rain on this asteroid is not water, but feelings. Other people's feelings. There is nowhere to run. You cannot run in slow motion on a lumbering one-speed treadmill. The only thing fast about this asteroid is it's shot through space. The rain tumbles, pelts, and trickles. And you feel all of it. Some say empathy is a strategist's superpower, but empathy can lose you in other people's emotions. Empathy is how actors turn serif-fonted words on crumpled, photocopied pages into theatre. They use the pages to visit other people, assume their lives, and animate them in public for everyone to judge. They need to think what their characters think. They need to do what their characters do. They need to feel how their characters feel. In these respects, you are a small-time actor. You need an actor's empathy. You need it to course through your words and fashion your ideas. But if it becomes your only focus and you stay on the bus or the asteroid too long, too much empathy will be a curse and will keep you from yourself. Empathy is a flood of faces. Something happens and face after face scrolls through your mind. Each face prompts you to visit it. Come here. What do I think? How do I feel? At its most basic level, the call to empathy is a call to see the world not through your own eyes, to not answer every question in the first person, especially when the question is about other people. You may have spent a lot of time in formal education that encouraged your ego's need to feel correct and to hear itself in every answer. The ego loves to jockey for status and loves knowing the easy quip instead of loving to sit and let the faces wash over. For most of us, the capacity for empathy is innate. Research, travel, meeting people from different backgrounds, books, movies, and passing through life stages will arm you with a horde of feelings. 
You need not herald from a certain group of people to achieve some empathy with and understanding of that group, but it may still take years for an intern with no college debt to understand a single mother holding down two jobs just to help her children make it out of high school. It's not that empathy is an all-person's game. Its magnitude at any given point depends on a strategist's brain and history and how loud the ego shouts. But empathy does require some commitment. The weather on the asteroid needs to bruise and stain you, and empathy takes vim. It requires energy from you. It electrifies the soul while sucking blood from its teeth. Empathy is a constant loop of exploding atoms and collapsing singularities. Bang, there's everything. Vroom. It's one thing. Bang, there's everything again. From It's one thing. Bang. From Bang. From Oh, look at all the speech bubbles over everyone's head. And some empathy is fantasy. Watch out for it. But that's what research is for. Strategists are mediums. Your work is to channel other people. You can wander in the first person about a topic as a starting point, but you can't treat your own experience as an endpoint from which to judge other people's experience. An endpoint sounds like this. Well, I'd never do that. Instead of... I wonder why that is. And a judge makes insights sound mean and casts research in ethical terms. They don't report, they damn. These people are stupid. Instead of, these people who voted for this politician are in pain and are mourning a way of life they hadn't yet inherited, but they thought that was their destiny. Empathy imports truths from other people's realities to make insights stir within the strategist's mind, and it writes what it finds without indicting what it finds. Your strategy provides the scaffolding, and you make artistic decisions along the way, but you use your mind to decorate the scaffolding with the minds of other people. These people can include customers, academics, experts, internal stakeholders, colleagues, and people from other agencies. The point is to arrive at compassionate and compelling strategy more than the point is to be the one who takes all the credit for it. There are as many ways to see the world as there are tribes in the world. This makes empathy one of the wonders of the world. It shows dull things in fresh light. It puts previously important things under the umbrella of unimportance. It reilluminates old things and puts new things in the shadows. But spending too much time in other people's emotions is a risk. It can make you lose sight of what you think about life because empathy as a first reflex is an endless mirrored corridor. There is always one more door. The mirrors make you think you can see yourself at all times, but really you're getting lost. And in the corridor, uh, and in the corridor are also people who prey on empathy. These are not usually your customers who need you to see their lives with loving eyes, but executive types. And they know that they can get their stubborn way by wielding someone else's ability, your ability, to see their position. There will be times this will hurt you, it's not your fault. The trick is to latch and detach, to explore and to reel in, and to have techniques to stop the endless rain above the asteroid's conveyor belt when and if that rain becomes acid. The trick might be as simple as to make a note and move on. Feelings are clues. Strategy makes people feel. It makes you feel. It makes your colleagues feel. It makes your clients feel, and via ideas that breach more mind, strategy makes the public feel. But feelings can scare people. It's easier to work without feelings and to shove emotions behind the shadow of percentages. It's business work, not feeling work.
Right and wrong aren't always the most useful flashlights to shine at the world, but the flashlight beam comes closer to wrong than right on this one. If you deny feelings in strategy work, you are playing a far more make-believe game than declaring yourself an artist. Strategy makes the strategist feel. Where empathy makes you feel other people's feelings, doing strategy makes you feel your own feelings. There's the feeling at the start of a project. The ratcheting of the roller coaster to the summit, slow and steady jackhammer sounds and all. There's a swivel between clarity and fog as questions form. There's the rush of the hunter's questions, heat-seek answers. There's the postcoital guilt and sense of being overwhelmed when the hunting party re retires to reflect about what it has dragged back to base. There's the focus and flow of going out again, making the hunt make sense of finding patterns and plastering the wall with noise and then signal. There's the ebb and resurgence of confidence. And then there's that feeling in the brain when you arrive at places still knowing you need to get to more places. It's an acupuncturist jamming in a needle and flicking it hours later. That's one needle. Five more to go. There are feelings that nobody even wants or understands in strategy, but feeling is the start of knowing, so feel it all you must. The strategy makes your colleagues feel. Often that feeling is resentment. There is status in a word like strategy, and so the world and so the word can become an appendage to many titles to signal little more than I can think and I can even do it with my brain and please take this seriously and give me more money. This scramble for titular importance dilutes the word. And many people further dilute it by using it or the word strategic as punctuation to say that what comes next is important, whether or not it is actually strategic, strategic planning. Strategic creative, strategic objectives, strategic rationale, strategic strategy. It's grandstanding. And so resentment is a common feeling. Most office places swim between rusty resentment and an evasive tolerance of strategists. This is a handicap that serves nobody, least of all the office place that has these feelings. Good creative leadership isn't just managing the creative department. It's exalting the creativity of all worker bees. And this can happen while also honoring the profound and different expertise of the various worker bees. Everybody can have ideas isn't adequate to say without discussing what ideas are and how they happen. Honoring the craft of idea having and recognizing the primary roles different people play within the agency. Good creative leadership leads the company, not a department. And it does so by magnifying people, not diminishing them, even while taking a stand for those whose primary roles are things like hatching insights and ideas. When strategy works, colleagues will feel the echoes of the strategist's feelings, but the feelings will crescendo with a poke to the brain and a subsequent adrenaline rush. This can turn to a run as high as long as people know how to run with that feeling. When strategy doesn't work, colleagues will feel frustration because this not working will eat into their own thinking time, and their thinking time was supposed to be dependent on the strategy. On the other hand, some colleagues will feel indifferent to the whole thing. They're the ones who have a job not a calling. They envision their own beanstalk twisting up from a sinking Titanic to the sky and it only fits one person. Strategy can make your clients feel. Words like feel and feeling will spark terror in some meetings, but they are useful. When you present work and then ask, what does this make you feel? Know that this question will operate in three successive waves in the client's mind. The first wave is, as an individual in this room, how does this make you feel in your loins? 
Yes, reach there. Do you feel fear, anger, sadness, joy, pride, disgust? Why do you feel that way? There is no need to pretend that your client doesn't start in the moment with their own mind and body just because they wear business attire. The second wave is, if you see this work through the eyes of the people who are its final audience, how do you think they'll feel about it? There is no need to pretend that this isn't somewhere the client's brain goes, even if the person throws their hands back, assumes a bystander error and says, I don't know, let's ask them. The third wave is, as someone who will have to live with this thinking and steward it throughout your company or bring it to life with your own ideas, how does this make you feel? The electricity can dim here. Put out your most quivery antennae to catch what the client is radiating. Even if their feelings are negative, they are often valid. If the work animates the person, but it seems a Herculean task to do anything with it, they'll exhibit hesitation. And you'll know the execution needs to be broken down more. If the work confuses the client, they'll show you that confusion, and you'll know you need to clarify the concept. If a client feels uncomfortable with or indifferent to the strategy work in another way, asking what would need to happen for you to feel differently will probe for both the feeling and the reason within the feeling. This question is a gateway to more questions that can help you understand what's true for your client. If you believe in the strategy work, the first stop is to treat these obstacles as puzzles, not as slights to your existence. To make feelings central to all discussions of strategy is a hazard. People like to hide from feelings. Over time, you'll see a pattern. Clients and colleagues who can interact on the level of feelings will initiate an uncommon depth in their conversations, and this depth will lead to a livelier and longer relationship. The opposite? A strategy life of one transaction after another, a life in which strategy isn't art, but a series of reports with a fancy job title stamped on them. In one mode of strategy, you are neutered. In another mode, you are alive. So there you go, a couple little sections there. Wouldn't call them chapters. Uh, I'll repeat the punchline. My therapist was suggesting, and I paraphrase this, that whenever I'm asked about my feelings, I talk about other people's feelings and that perhaps I use empathy for others to avoid empathy for myself. I've already written this for myself. I just don't exactly know what to do with it. And it's kind of an amazing, surreal, out-of-body experience to go through therapy while having written thousands of words about the stuff in your head. Uh, it, it makes my brain smile. I think it almost makes my face smile. The thing is, I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? All right, kids. You can if you, November 5, Tuesday, November 5, Kickstarter. You can register, register your name on my little email newsletter at www.markpollard.net or follow on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Pollard. <sighs> hey, if you've got any thoughts, let me know. Go make some art, crazy people. Peace. <laughs>